You are listening to Primary Care Perspectives, a podcast where pediatric experts from Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and other guests discuss primary care issues that are on their minds and the hot topics that all pediatricians see affecting their daily practice. This podcast is for general informational and educational purposes only and is not to be considered as medical advice for any particular patient. Clinicians must rely on their own informed clinical judgment in making recommendations to their patients. Hi, I'm Dr. Katie Lockwood, a primary care pediatrician at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Today, I'm talking about integrative approaches to autism. Joining me is Dr. Amanda Bennett, who is the clinical chair of the Autism Integrated Care Program and a developmental pediatrician who cares for children with autism and related disorders at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Bennett. Thank you for having me. Well, let's start by putting this in the context that autism affects as many as 1 in 54 children. And while we know there's no cure per se, there are many treatments that are used for symptom management and to improve functional skills. Some of the more traditional therapies include early intervention, school-based therapies, ABA, and medications. Yet as many as 70% of families choose alternative treatments, and we will focus on those today. So let's start with my first question, which is why do you think families are looking to integrative medicine for patients with autism? Well, I think there are a couple of reasons. One is that children that have autism also often have other co-occurring medical or behavioral health symptoms. And so when we talk about treatment recommendations, we're automatically sort of needing to integrate multiple types of treatments to provide the care that these children need. Another challenge for families is that the standard of care, which is developmental and behavioral therapies to address the symptoms of autism, these are therapies that are sometimes difficult to access. They're very time and effort intensive, and they can be incredibly costly if insurance isn't covering them. Add into that the fact that we really don't have very many FDA-approved medications, and the ones that we do have have pretty significant side effect profiles. So I can understand why families might seek out alternative options. Mm -hmm. And because there's not a cure, there's always going to be some symptom. And I think sometimes parents are just looking for something to do about those symptoms that they still see. Exactly. So let's talk about some of the treatments that I hear patients ask about, and you can help educate me about the safety and efficacy of these, because we know that not everything, just because it's something that you can do on your own or seems natural, is necessarily safe or proven to work. So the first one that I hear about a lot is a gluten-free diet, and I'm not talking about patients who have a diagnosis of celiac, that's separate, but a gluten-free diet specifically for autism. What do you think about that? So this is one I hear about from families a lot as well. This, I think, falls into the category of fairly limited evidence supporting it at this point. There have been lots of studies looking at removal of gluten as well as removal of casein from the diet. There have been a couple of blinded, randomized trials. And in all cases, we've really found in large sort of research-based studies that there's really very weak or no evidence that these diets improve core symptoms of autism. There was one study that did show some improvement in ASD symptoms, but that was after the children had been on that diet for about two years. However, lots of families will anecdotally report 
some improvements. And I think that there have been some children that had some co-occurring GI symptoms where those symptoms improved, indicating maybe there was some mild intolerance of certain food products. In terms of safety, a gluten-free diet is not particularly harmful. It can be challenging to follow and pretty expensive. And for some patients where they're very selective in what they're eating at baseline, to remove milk products and wheat products from the diet can really narrow their selection of foods so much so that it can cause harm. Mm -hmm. And they may have a limited diet to begin with, so it can be tricky. Exactly. Okay, so another one that I hear about is equine therapy or horseback riding. So that seems like it's harmless, but tell me, is there any efficacy or safety things that I should know about that one? You're right. I don't think of it as being particularly harmful. Probably the only challenge there is cost if families are having to pay for this. There have been some studies that have looked at equine types of interventions, and they did find some improvements in behaviors and some reported some improvements in social interactions and communication skills. The challenge with a lot of these studies is that the treatment protocols, how the horses were incorporated into therapy, differed very dramatically from one study to the next. So we don't have a consistent approach to using horses that we can say works because the studies differed so greatly. Yeah, that's an important point, right? Like, is it just the brushing the horse and hanging out with the horse? Or do you have to be a skilled rider to get the benefit? So that's an interesting point. And I know from some of the therapy programs that happen in the Philadelphia area, some of them are led by occupational therapists or speech therapists. So I think who is working with the child and the horse may play a role as well. Mm -hmm. Great point. So something that we all hear about a lot, and not just in autism, but with many kids is about vitamins. But I'm interested for autistic patients, are there vitamin supplements that we should be giving them or that are recommended? So I think that this falls into a category when I talk to families about vitamins, I kind of say, you know, if you have a kid that's a picky eater, whether you have autism or not, it's probably not a bad idea to think about just a general multivitamin. When we look at the evidence, I think in general, a multivitamin is considered to be pretty safe as long as you're sticking to recommended doses. There was one randomized trial that looked at multivitamins in patients with autism, and there were some parent-rated improvements in GI and sleep symptoms, and there were some laboratory findings in the patients that were studied that would indicate that they did have some deficiencies leading into the study. However, when you start looking at very specific vitamin interventions or very high-dose vitamin interventions, such as like B12 shots or very high-dose B vitamins, those studies have not really supported any evidence that they make a difference. And then similar to that, omega-3 fatty acids or fish oil supplements, that's something that is not in your routine multivitamin. So is that something that should be added on? It's another good question. I think that in general, fish oil supplements are considered to be pretty safe. There's some pretty good evidence that they can be protective in terms of cardiac issues in adults. When we look at targeting autism symptoms specifically, there have been several studies looking at fish oil supplementation, including six randomized trials. In those cases, there were some reports of improvements in behavior, particularly hyperactivity and 
stereotypies or the kind of repetitive movements that kids can have with autism. But we didn't necessarily see any changes in autism symptoms or global functional abilities. And then lastly, music therapy. Again, this seems like something that's harmless to me, but tell me about what the evidence is there. Yeah, so uh, this was interesting when I was reading up on this. You know, again, music therapy seems to be pretty safe. Haven't seen any adverse effects reported from that type of intervention. There have been several studies, including one randomized trial, that did show that patients that participated in music therapy had improvements greater than those that received placebo interventions in their communication skills and their social initiation skills. So this is sort of one of those interventions that I would say has some emerging positive evidence. And kind of similarly, we know, like you said, that there are deficits in social interaction and communication are central to the diagnosis of an autism spectrum disorder. So tell us how social skills training may be used to improve social skills for these patients. So this is actually a very standard recommendation that we make. When I'm diagnosing a child with autism spectrum disorder, I'm going to be including a recommendation that the school services or early intervention services are implementing social skills training. However, there's not a specific curriculum that every intervention program is going to use at this point. There is an intervention that is showing some really exciting evidence. It's called the PEERS program. It stands for Program for Educational and Enrichment of Relational Skills. Now, right now, the studies that have been done have been in adolescents and adults, but there have been several trials that have happened with this program specifically and have had very positive results in improvements of social skills in that population. So, It's exciting that we might have an actual curriculum we could someday recommend. But right now at this point, we don't have a specific social skills recommendation in terms of curriculum. So that's a good point about the standardization, similar to what we were talking about with equine therapy, too, of just finding the best way to to deliver these therapies. Yes. So a common symptom that I hear from parents is poor sleep, and we know how important sleep is to behavior and cognition. So do you recommend the use of melatonin in autism patients? Yes, I do. This is one that I will recommend very early in my relationship with a patient if the child is presenting with sleep concerns. There have been a couple of trials specifically looking at melatonin in patients with autism, one open label and one blinded randomized trial. In both cases, they demonstrated improvements in the child's ability to fall asleep and their overall ability to stay asleep. There's also some emerging studies, some trials that are coming out right now that are specifically looking at extended release melatonin products because we know that one problem for children with autism is waking in the middle of the night and having trouble falling back to sleep. So there's some hope that extended release melatonin products might be able to address that challenge. And in general, the studies have shown that melatonin is really pretty safe in low doses. The trials looked at doses up to about six milligrams. If you look at kind of clinical practice and what some families are using in their nightly routine, there are reports of children taking up to nine or 10 milligrams of melatonin. But again, the research would say up to about six milligrams is safe and can be effective. Yeah, that extended release sounds like it could be great for a lot of families. Absolutely. 
It seems like I see products with CBD oil everywhere now. So can you walk us through what we know about the safety and efficacy of CBD for children with autism? This is an area that is really interesting because we still have a lot we need to learn about the role of CBD or cannabis products. And we are seeing more and more legal decisions that are indicating that CBD products and cannabis products may be approved for a person that has autism. But from a research perspective, there's still a lot we don't know. So there's one open label trial that's been conducted, and they did show some slight improvements in self-injury behaviors, but no other improvements were noted in that trial. And the individuals that were receiving the CBD product did have some side effects related to sedation and a decrease in their appetite. There are several small studies that are ongoing, and there are three active clinical trials that are happening right now. So at this point, I would say the results for improvements in both autism symptoms and in behavioral symptoms that we see in people with autism are pretty inconclusive. And the one area where we've maybe seen the most direct benefit from using CBD products is in people that have epilepsy, and there is actually an FDA-approved product to treat epilepsy. But beyond that, we don't really know what we are expecting CBD products to do for people with autism. And in this particular case, we really have very limited data on the long-term effects that these types of products can have on developing brains. So I'm in the camp that feels we very much need to study this. We need to understand what cannabis products may do for people with autism but I'm not in a position to be recommending it to families until we have more research to back it up. Right. I think that's a great point that this is still something that is new to many of us and that we're still learning a lot about. So we're not necessarily ruling it out yet, but we really have a lot more to learn. And as you mentioned, there is some more evidence in the epilepsy area. So at CHOP, I know we refer to the neurologist for their expertise in that area. So maybe for kids with autism and comorbid epilepsy, they should talk to a neurologist about the evidence there, but certainly something that we're still learning more about and for other diagnoses. Exactly. So I know at CHOP, when I refer patients to your division, that I can trust that the therapies that they're being referred to are safe and effective. But I know that there are some patients out there who are being recommended therapies that are a little more invasive, things like chelation, IVIG, and stem cells. Are these things that patients and families should be aware of? So this is an area that is really quite concerning to me. In general, all of these very invasive treatments that people are selling as a cure or a treatment for autism come with very significant risks, including one child who actually died during chelation treatment here in Pennsylvania for his autism. And when we look at the research studies for these interventions, across the board, there are no significant improvements in core symptoms or related symptoms of autism. So to me, this is an area where the risk just outweighs the benefit. Great. That's good for us to know if we hear families who are being advised to pursue these, that we can give them some education about the evidence here. 
So we have learned that natural does not always equal safe. And while we covered a lot today, there are many other treatments, interventions, and therapies out there. So where can pediatricians go to learn more about integrative approaches to autism to help guide families into making safe and effective choices? Yes. So there are a couple of resources that I go to to get up-to-date information. The National Center for Complementary and Integrative Health has a great website that will lay out the research data on the more popular alternative treatments that people are interested in. And they have a page specifically for autism. Also, CHOP's Integrative Medicine program has a lot of helpful resources on their website as well. And then when I'm thinking about how to help families identify treatments and resources specific to their needs, my two go-to websites are the Center for Autism Research Roadmap. On there, families can put in their zip code and they can find resources close to where they live, as well as lots of helpful articles answering some of these questions that we talked about today. I also like to refer families to the Autism Speaks website because they have a number of free toolkits to help address some of the challenging behaviors and co-occurring medical conditions that families are trying to treat in addition to the core symptoms of their child's autism. Great. Those are great resources, which we can link to on our website. And for providers who are listening and want to refer a patient with autism to developmental pediatrics at CHOP, what's the best way to do that? The best way is to call the intake number for the Autism Integrated Care Program. That is 215-590-7500. There's an option to select for autism. And then the autism intake coordinators will walk the family through their concerns and get their information and get them set up with additional intake packets that will be part of the process for getting that first appointment. Great. And so, like I said, we've covered a lot today, but what's one takeaway message that you want pediatricians to know about integrative approaches to autism? So I think the most important thing that a pediatrician can do when a family is coming to them asking about treatments for autism is to really keep that communication line open. And that includes being honest and open-minded about some of these alternative treatments that we don't entirely know as much about. So for me, I think it's important to be talking to families about the risks that you know and the benefits that you know around these different types of interventions. Because at the end of the day, we know that families are going to investigate these treatments either with your guidance or without it. I think that's a great point. And for me, I always try to remember that just because a family mentions a therapy that I've never heard about before doesn't mean that it's necessarily bad or doesn't work. Sometimes I just need a little more education myself, and the resources that you mentioned will help us all try to go and find the evidence so that we can give our families the best advice possible. Absolutely. Thank you so much for teaching us more about this today. I am always learning from your division, and I appreciate the support you give to us and to our patients with autism. So thanks for coming today. Well, thanks so much for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Primary Care Perspectives. You can download and subscribe to future episodes on iTunes or visit chop.edu slash PCP podcast for a listing of all episodes. I look forward to our next chat.